Hi, this is Jeremy Gritton, art director and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 43 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, August 2nd, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we continue to gauge the response of Halo Infinite's demo by the gaming community at large. We'll spotlight the brilliant success that Grounded has made in its game preview debut. And Private Division has snapped up publishing for Moon Studios. Just what does this mean for their relationship with Xbox going forward? We'll discuss that and more in this episode. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And before we begin this week, I want to offer a quick word of thanks to two amazing people in the XEP community. Big thank yous and shoutouts go to the Winter Gamer and Famous Seamus for joining us on stream when we played Rogue Company. It was a super great time checking out Rogue Company, playing it with friends, and more importantly, and quite coolly, I would would add, was we were playing Rogue Company on PlayStation, Xbox One, and Switch simultaneously, all of us having cross-play, playing on our devices of choice. That is what games are all about, and that is the future, and it was a blast to join you. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Plenty of news and topics to get to this week. At this point, we are perhaps two weeks or so removed from the Xbox Games Showcase, where nine Xbox Game Studios were on display. Plenty of console launch exclusives showcase, and all of them either free-to-play or day-and-date into Game Pass. It really was a brilliant display of what Microsoft's vision is going forward uh, as soon as two months from now, all the way to three-plus years from now. And there's a lot to, to break down in all of that, and we've taken efforts to do so. But no game has fallen under more scrutiny in this past two weeks than Halo Infinite. Opinions flying all about the interwebs, discussion points, topics, does the game look good enough, is it going to have free or paid multiplayer, where will it chart, PC, lots of stuff to really break down, and all of which I think are fair game topics to have from the get-go. It's okay to be critical of something that you love or you have high expectations for. Similarly, the responsibility is on those making the game, publishing the game, and showcasing the game to respond to those criticisms, to respond to those expectations, and set them accordingly. And that is our topic for discussion here. Halo Infinite put on, I would argue, a rather impressive display of gameplay. We saw a lot of gameplay from an older build. The devs came out and confirmed the build was from some time ago on similar PC architecture to an Xbox Series X, meaning that what you saw is a fairly faithful rendition of what you're going to play, but it's certainly got bugs that need to be worked through. If you look at the 4K60 presentation, it is stunning, and I urge all of you to go to YouTube, flip it over into 4K, and watch that Halo Infinite demo again with the fidelity settings up high. It's a really, really 
impressive visual spectacle. I cannot take anything away. Similarly, in that same vein, when you kick it up to 4K, it's easier to spot the graphical hitches if you know where to look. Seeing the clouds pop in on the horizon here and there uh, was something I knew to look for, and it was all the more evident when I kicked it up into 4K. So there was something interesting in and of that. And the onus and responsibility of managing our expectations and recognizing that there are flaws in that build does fall to 343. I think it makes quite a logical bit of sense to allow 343 to respond to any complaints over having a PR figurehead from anywhere and everywhere. Aaron Greenberg, while talented at what he does in many cases, is not best suited to answer Halo Infinite questions directly. 343 is, and to their credit, they have been doing so. They put out a Halo Waypoint that addressed and acknowledged concerns about graphical uh, ideas. In that same Waypoint article, they discuss the fact that their graphical style of choice is going to be a bit different than what they were intending with Halos 4 and 5, which I use the word realistic, but I, I think that gamers and, and listeners will understand what I mean by that. Halos 4 and 5 went for a very realistic approach. You know, facial tics and, and animations all meant to be uh, reminiscent of something that you might have seen with like The Last of Us or Gears of War or Ghost of Tsushima. Something that is less arcadey and less stylized. I struggle with the words in that, but I hope it's, it's clear in what I mean. 343 has come out with Halo Infinite and tried a different direction, responding to criticisms of Halos 4 and 5, good, bad, things they liked, didn't, and chose this new direction to capture some of the magic felt from Halos of old, specifically the Halos made by Bungie, Halos 1, 2, and 3, along with Halo Reach and ODST. They're trying to capture that same spirit of Halo with Halo Infinite. And I can tell you quite clearly, as a diehard Halo fan, there's there's very little objectivity in that aspect of my coverage. However, as a longtime Halo fan, I sensed that immediately upon watching Halo Infinite's demo. If you go back and watch the live reactions over on Bad Bit's YouTube channel, you can see an intense joy that came from hearing the sound effects, seeing Chief move about the world. There is a stylized arcade -y feel to Halo Infinite. And when you look at what they're trying to do in creating a Halo game from, that works on a 2013 piece of hardware up to the, the Xbox Series X, it makes more sense perhaps than, than we were expecting it to, but they're distancing themselves from their previous art style. Now this will either pay dividends or it will not. And we have plenty to find out about that. I do think given the ambition of a long a long-term vision where it's a living game, not what they would say a games as a service, though I I'm curious how it's going to be different. Not a games as a service, but a living game with single-player content being regularly dropped in. I think it, it behooves it to have that stylized uh, art style, to have a more arcade -y look to it. And again, we will find out, but to be open-world and be as ambitious, ambitious as they are trying to make it, I like that art style. I also very clearly understand people who are frustrated and concerned. It is absolutely natural to be concerned when something you love is on the line. And the stewards of the Halo franchise over at 343 are not immune to this. They acknowledged in their blog post the concerns over art style. They referenced it directly. And now, Halo Infinite's narrative experience director, Dan Chosich, I apologize for if I mispronounced your name, commented on that further. He went on Twitter and let fans know what he was feeling. He says, quote, I've been in your shoes. I know what it's like to have expectations built and felt let down. I want you to know that your voice, is, your voice matters 
and is heard. You're not falling on deaf ears, and I want to live up to the legacy that Bungie pioneered. I personally care a lot about honoring that. End quote. And it, I, I appreciate that the game's narrative experience director is acknowledging people's worry, but also it doesn't feel as though he, he's shaken in his boots about what they're trying to do with Halo Infinite, which is admittedly quite different than what they were trying to do with 4 and 5. That super high-res, high level of detail in Halo 5 is very impressive, but that game was soulless. It feels soulless. It does not feel like Halo. It's impressive visually, but it doesn't feel like Halo. Now, that 4K60 rendition of Halo Infinite put a lot of my visual concerns at ease. And I'm telling you right now, folks, it is a different experience when you look at it in 4K60 than when you look at it on a compressed stream or in, in a level less than that. Let's add into the mix the news that was initially leaked by a retailer but then came out to be confirmed by 343 themselves. Halo Infinite's multiplayer is free to play. You can play Halo Infinite multiplayer for free on your Xbox One devices, on your Xbox Series devices, on your PC. This is a big deal. Buried in that nugget of, we'll break that down in a moment, but buried in that was the note that the Series X will play Halo at 120 frames per second. On your Series X, you can play Halo multiplayer up to 120 frames per second. That puts my mind at ease. The fluidity, the speed, the simplicity of Halo, the accessibility of Halo, the complexity of Halo, all captured in 120 frames per second in an open world Halo environment where you can toss grunts, where you can grapple to different places. I'm excited by that. To me, that is an exciting entry point that there will be single-player content added to the game as it lives over the next 5 to 10 years, depending upon success rate. And the multiplayer, competitive, cooperative, etc., etc., however they choose to to word it, will have an entry barrier point of 0 to to free. Anyone can try out Halo Infinite. This is a big deal, and it's a must to do so alongside things like Call of Duty, which have the free Warzone levels, alongside Fortnite, alongside Apex, alongside so many other free-to-play models. Halo Infinite now allows people to try out the world, and it brings them in. It showcases what Game Pass has to offer, what Xbox has to offer, and it brings people in the door. Not to mention, if they're into the Halo-verse or they like the multiplayer, they're more likely to check out the franchise via the Master Chief Collection, the Forge mode, and the building and crafting community, something that Grounded is proving is still very much alive. And the PC community continues to gobble Halo up with the Master Chief Collection. The MCC has been in the top 10 Steam bestseller charts since it launched in December. It's still up there. I checked it today. Halo is poised for a comeback, and people care about Infinite. So setting up multiple things, a stylized art style, will be a mixed reception. But you got to bring in younger gamers, newer gamers. You can't only make stuff for the diehard fans from Bungie's past. That's not how, how business works. So creating Infinite to work alongside in a free multiplayer suite but have living single-player missions means that competitive players, cooperative players, single players can all go through the game in the way they would like to experience it. So I was very much put at ease by this news, though I fully acknowledge those criticisms. I don't want to see pop-in on my new, brand-new Xbox Series X. I, I think that's an, uh, a fair expectation for a game that's designed to work on 2013 hardware as well. 
The slip space engine will be put to the test, there's no doubt about that, but there's a lot to look forward to in what Halo Infinite does. And to their credit, 343 truly is, I feel, taking everything in stride, particularly the Craig memes, which are popping up all over the place, that kind of lame duck brute, uh, lovingly named Craig. I, I dig that. They're taking that in stride, and even Phil Spencer said he's become the unofficial mascot of Xbox, and that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now, two more things to unpack here. First, we have a question from James Sutty, who asks, quote, seeing a lot about Halo microtransactions, what do you think the possibility is? End quote. James is asking a very relevant question. When you hear the words free-to-play, you should also very quickly in your mind register, how is this going to be monetized? Because you can't just put out a free game and never monetize it. That's not a good, uh, comfortable method. Some games use ads. Some use microtransactions for cosmetics. Some games use, you know, cordoned off weapons or characters. There's a lot of ways that this can go. Whatever they do with Halo Infinite, it cannot be dirty and it cannot be slimy. It also can't have the problems that some of their other online games have had. The Gears of War 5 online multiplayer suite is brilliant very very good but that economy when it first launched rough real rough now it's great the problem is gears 5 has come and gone in people's minds and it won't really get an uptick of spotlight until it hits series x and goes to 120 frames per second as well you cannot have a slimy microtransaction section halo 5's rec packs were rather rather fair to the user i would argue but there wasn't a whole lot of benefit they really only helped you out in warzone and a lot of the cosmetics didn't really land well, and they've already said rec packs are no longer making a return. For my money, this is going to have a battle pass similar to what Halo Reach has in the Master Chief Collection. You've got cosmetics that you can unlock. Perhaps you can accelerate those unlocks via standard battle pass system, which has popped up all over the place and been done very well in games like Apex, been done very poorly in games like PUBG, and been, been done with plenty of places and barometers for what works amongst communities and what doesn't. I imagine you get cosmetics, imagine you get a battle pass, and my sincere hope is that they don't lock content behind that, that is prevalent to gameplay, and I do not believe they would do that. But I'm in, I'm in for it, I want to see it. One of the other ways they could go about this is being a battle royale. Now hear me out guys, because I've been really thinking a lot about this. It was in 2018 that they said no battle royale for Halo Infinite. 2018, that's a long time ago. That's a whole 16 years in pandemic years, and, and, and quite a bit more when you examine all the things that the industry has gone through. We've seen battle passes be very successful for battle royales, and no longer do they only have to worry about the battle rifle as the BR. Fueled to that fire, the Japanese listings for Halo Infinite uh, classify Halo Infinite's genre as battle royale shooter. So I want you to imagine this, folks. You drop in from an ODST point. There's glassing beams that, that, that serve as your circle. You've got power weapons and vehicles taking teams of ODSTs or Spartans to a certain exit pelican point. You've got Covenant vehicles flying around and battling it out. I love that. I love that. If the market wants a Halo Battle Royale and suffices to support it, give it to them. Give them a free entry point into the franchise, and then maybe some will discover your single-player game. Some will discover the vast world of Halo, but whatever your experience, whether it's single, single player, cooperative, or competitive, whatever your Halo experience of choice is, Infinite is providing that. We'll just have to see if it's good, but for 120 frames per second, moving around in arcade fluidity, I'm there for it. 
While Halo Infinite may be dominating social media boards and, and fanboy discussions abound, it is Obsidian's Grounded that is dominating Twitch viewing counts and Steam sales charts. Grounded launched into Early Access on July 28th. It's available in Steam Early Access, Xbox Game Preview, and if you have Game Pass or Game Pass for PC, you can check it out over on, on those platforms as well. Grounded has landed over 1 million players, as announced by its game director, in its first week. In its first week being an early access game, this weird Honey, I Shrunk the Kids simulator is garnering any number of attention. And that is huge for Obsidian to consider that 13 people working in the same studios that, that brought to you Fallout New Vegas, brought to you the Fallout Killer in the Outer Worlds most recently, which landed even on the Switch after being on Xbox, PC, and PlayStation. The Outer Worlds did gangbuster numbers. And we now know they're working to make a huge RPG like Avowed. A small team within Obsidian created this game that is hugely and widely popular for any number of reasons. Grounded, I, I tried it out myself, and the moment I entered this world, I'm thinking, all right, cheesy, honey, I shrunk the kids. Just like many people, I think we looked at it and we're like, ah, really? Who's asking for this? I jumped into this world, gave it a chance, because it's in, in Game Pass, and I have Game Pass. I was like, all right, cool. And immediately got No Man's Sky vibes. I immediately got the Forest and Subnautica vibes in the best ways. The game throws you into this backyard, and you're this kid who has to scavenge for food. You have to fight bugs. You have to craft things and go about and discover this world. There's a narrative in a single-player uh, aspect, so I can play by myself. There's a method of playing with co-op with friends to build and create your own communities. Grounded's really cool, and it is shocking to me how... I don't know if ignorance the right word... But it's the word I'm going with in this case. I was very ignorant when I first saw this. My first reaction was, I don't want to play that. Like, I, I don't I don't like survival games. I'm not into that kind of stuff. It's, it's really only No Man's Sky or sci-fi type stuff that's going to get me to even want to craft things. I was very wrong. I'm digging Grounded. There's a bit of lovable jank that you would expect in an early access game, but I'm playing it in third person. You can switch between first and third person. You go around and discover this world. I'm crafting all types of, of weapons and molded from a world that is far more interesting than I expected. And there's an entire generation of people who haven't seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that this can appeal to. I love it. It's really fun. It, it blows my mind that we have a very small team at Obsidian making a game like this. The game lands as big as it does with concurrent view counts, meaning people are interested. Not only is it selling well on Steam, but those numbers do not count people using Game Pass Ultimate. They don't count that. People that it doesn't count people that use Game Pass Ultimate, people who purchase it on the Microsoft Store, or Xbox players. That's just the Steam list, and it's still number one. In fact, that Steam list right now, the top ten, includes several Microsoft Game Studios, including Grounded at number one, Sea of Thieves, Microsoft Flight Simulator, which is not even out yet, these are pre-orders, and the Master Chief Collection are all in the top 10. Four Xbox Game Studio games in the top six, if we want to be technical, over on Steam. That's an incredible number, and you have to imagine that Obsidian very quickly has become the gem of Microsoft Studio purchases in this past three years to put out something like The Outer Worlds to put out something like Grounded, surprising everybody, and to have Avowed on the horizon set in the Pillars of Eternity universe. If, if the Outer Worlds was the Fallout killer, Avowed looks to be the Skyrim killer, 
and taking over for that moniker of gameplay. I don't know what Obsidian's doing as far as which game it's killing, which community it's taking over, but uh, there's a lot to enjoy in this game. The the survival gamers, the gamers who are interested, the, they are. We might accidentally equate them to being casuals. I think that's a an unfair thing to look at like people that only play Minecraft and say, oh, well, it's a kiddie-looking game. It's, it's They're casuals. No, if you are good in a survival game, you are a hardcore gamer. And Grounded is capturing that. Uh, bravo to Obsidian. I am very interested to learn more and to find out more about where this goes for them, what their vision is. Uh, and you can stay tuned to XCP in the coming weeks to find out more about that. Uh, but I, I can I could not be more thrilled for them. And check it out. It's it's It'll raise your eyebrows for sure. This is Paul Bettner, creator of New Super Lucky's Tale, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Well, we discussed the Steam charts in the last topic and how Microsoft is absolutely dominating there. And we talked about how two weeks or so ago we had the Xbox Games Showcase and we saw what would be coming out in the coming three months, uh, up to three years from now, perhaps even longer. But a game that was conspicuously absent from the Xbox Games Showcase was Battletoads. Uh, made initially by Rare long ago and now currently being developed by Dalala Studios in conjunction with Rare, Battletoads went missing for a long time. I played it at last year's E3. It's very, very stylized, a fundamentally different art shift that, while it does pay homage to the games of old, the Battletoads games of old, it is very different uh, hand-drawn style to itself. Difficult, still paying homage to the difficulty back then, but it was just a very different look. It has been absent all the way until this past week. We'd seen nothing where all of a sudden Delala and Rare come out and say, all right, guys, Battletoads, it's coming out on August 20th. That's right, guys, like three weeks or less, we'll be playing Battletoads, which begs the question to me, why wasn't this at the Xbox Game Showcase? And I do not have an answer. I'm speculating perhaps they were unsure what the reception would be. It is a very different art style, and as we've talked about on this episode several times, having a different art style can be a bit jarring for players. Uh, perhaps it is the, the feedback they received from last year's E3 where people just weren't quite sure what was happening. Either way, the Xbox Game Showcase showed three months out and longer. This is less than that, and so maybe it's time to land with the very heavily rumored August showcase for Xbox. We still need to know what the price of our hardware is, exactly what the release dates are for our upcoming uh, Series Xs, and the almost confirmed at this point Lockhart, for goodness sakes, just say it, guys. Just say that it's coming out. Maybe it's time to go with that, and it's in the same week as those announcements. Whatever the reasoning behind it, we know the date for Battletoads, and... It's launching into Game Pass. I'm wondering if this is going to have the same love that many people had for Streets of Rage, where they played Streets of Rage, loved it, loved it, you know, were so excited with the nostalgia kick, and then just moved on. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Will it be beloved? Will it not? Either way, the jarring difference between old school Battletoads and this will certainly bring in new fans and perhaps scathe some old. But I can tell you with 100% sincerity, after playing it at last year's E3, I'm excited to play more. And this is the exact kind of game I'm willing to play because it's in Game Pass if I'm unsure about it. I think I think Battletoads is going to be a very fun game for people to stream and play and then move on from. We'll see. Maybe it takes on a life of its own. But stream, play, move on to your next stuff. 
The last news topic that really stood out to me in this past week had to do with Moon Studios, the creators of Ori and the Will of the Wisps and Ori and the Blind Forest. Of course, we had Jeremy Gritton on the show a few weeks ago. They have signed a deal with Private Division, which is the publishing wing of Take-Two Interactive, to publish their next game. Now, this raises eyebrows for me in a couple senses, because if Moon Studios is so well-known for creating a first-party IP, I'm being very particular in my words here, Ori is a first-party IP for Xbox, but Moon developed it almost in a second-party category. Why is Xbox not snapped up Moon Studios up to now? I think the short answer is they've probably tried, and Moon Studios wanted to go another way. Perhaps it has to do with fear of big corporations. Perhaps they, they saw something they didn't like. Or, very simply, they want to publish games on as many platforms as possible. That said, Private Division, they're the ones that are going to help do that. Their next game, I should say they being Moon Studios, their next game is set to be an action RPG, which is quite a bit different from what you would expect from the makers of Ori and the Will of the Wisp, which garnered huge, huge critical acclaim and landed over 2 million players so far. That's a big, big direction change for Moon Studios. I'm surprised that Microsoft didn't purchase them outright or find a way to make it happen. Either way, I think we are fully, fully expecting to see Moon Studios' talent displayed on multiple platforms going forward as opposed to being console exclusive. And that's better for gamers. Make no mistake. That is a good thing. I'm happy to see that. But uh, it, it does raise some eyebrows there. Private Division, Division, for their part, has done a fantastic job in showcasing games on multiple platforms. Outer Worlds is included in that. And there's no reason to think that Moon Studios wouldn't be treated well. It's just, it, it's just interesting to see that they got away from Microsoft at a time where Microsoft is willing to throw down dollar bills to get up studios. And, and, and we'll see there. Other very, you know, lesser points of note from this past week, we saw Games with Gold announce the Games with Gold coming up for the month of August. Portal Knights, Override Mech City Ball, Brawl, Override Mech City Brawl, uh, MX Unleashed, and Red Faction 2 will all be available for Gamers with Gold. And this really tells me once again that not a bad lineup, but not a great lineup, nothing, nothing to be like, oh my gosh, look at that. Uh, Games with Gold needs to go the way of the Dodo. It just needs to be rolled into Game Pass, make Game Pass 10 bucks, Game Pass Ultimate 15, and move on. Halo Infinite being free to play is another sign that we probably are getting rid of Gold, uh, or Xbox Live paywalls, I should say, uh, and, and Games with Gold needs to go too. Before we get to listener mail this week, I do want to talk briefly about Destroy All Humans. I received a review code for it. I've been streaming it a bit over on my Twitch channel. And I have a lot of mixed thoughts on what Destroy All Humans Remaster really is. It is a faithful recreation of the original. And whenever we have faithful remasters, they tend to bring out the pros and cons from the games of yore. There is a very, very dated sense of humor in the writing for Destroy All Humans, and there's some clunky menu navigation and an objective navigation as well. The writing stood out to me to be very awkward at times and something that would certainly have been comedic back when it was initially released on the original Xbox, and I don't think it ages very well, not so, so, not so much in a politically correct sense, but just in terms of, of bathroom toilet humor. Maybe it's me, maybe it's that I'm different. I've certainly grown up quite a bit from when I would have played this game initially, but I don't think it lands with the same levels of punchlines and misogyny here in, in this era as much. That said, there's a lot of really fun gameplay to be had in Destroy All Humans. There's, there's a gleeful destruction 
that comes in with low consequence games where you can just go around and destroy things and watch things blow up and deliver or destroy all humans delivers on that front uh, in spades similar to the way you would have played rampage way back in the day or when you uh, are playing grand theft auto or open world games and you just want to go about causing as much havoc as possible you can do that in destroy all humans almost at will now, those missions will open up and confine you depending upon different different levels that they're trying to work on. There are some stealth levels of the game where you have to uh, masquerade as a human in different, different circumstances, be it the mayor, be it a pretty girl, or draw uh, characters' attentions away while you consume or take over a town or destroy a town. And the stealth missions, or what I'm equating to be stealth missions, I was really frustrated with clunky controls. Those clearly didn't age well up into this more modern era. However, the the open world destruction levels or, or fighting and combat was a really cool time. I loved using different types of ray guns to take on police officers and military officers. I loved using telekinesis to pick up and hurl objects and people and cows all about the world. I had a lot of fun with this very video game, video game. Some games take themselves very seriously very seriously to the point where you know like the last of us is really putting you through through the rigmarole of what the real world can do to you or something like microsoft flight simulator is not even a game it's a full simulator this is the most gamey game that you can get with destroy all humans and at a budget price fans of the originals will absolutely love this faithful remaster new players will probably have a very good time if they can get past some of those dated controls or the dated humor that that comes with something like this and i think they'll recognize that it's a very different era that brought the successes and faults from the original the budget price means that it's accessible for more people if you liked destroy all humans of old and you want some video game passion from back in the day you need to pick this one up if you are on the fence or not sure just wait wait for it to go on sale snag it if it comes to a subscription service there's no reason to rush out and buy it right away there's a lot of good there's also a lot of meh that comes with a game like this, but I did have fun in my time playing with it. All right, rocking and rolling this week. Plenty of listener mail. Thank you guys so much for writing in. I know I've been doing giveaways over on Twitter and uh, getting more XEP community engagement there for, for various games like Rocket Arena or Game Pass, etc. But it's been really cool to see so many of you writing into the show and asking me questions and engaging me in topics. That's exactly what I want because doing a solo show can be strange. I'm also seeing the reviews on iTunes climb. We're hitting more and more reviews each week. Thank you so much if you have taken the time to go on your computer or go on your, your Apple device if you use one to write an iTunes review. Even if you're not an iTunes user, you can go on your PC and do it. That means the world. It really helps. And I'm seeing the numbers grow each week. And thank you so much for sharing this show, rating this show. It, it's, it is a heartwarming thing in a time where it's nice to have good news for sure. But let's get to fan questions. Fan questions? Listener questions. Let's get to some listener questions here. Co-op Mode writes in, DC Fandom is this month. What do you expect from WB Games? Man, that is an exciting question. I think, obviously, we are all looking forward to the the long-rumored, even by WB Montreal themselves, Batman game. We're expecting Capture the Night to, to make its debut, whatever its real title may be. I want to see the next Batman game. I'm tired of the dance. Back and forth, is it, won't it, will it be it? I just want to see it, and let's let's get a date on this bad boy. Let's find out when it's coming out. I think there was a plan to show this game much sooner, 
and the acquisition that or the acquisitions that are being uh, discussed for AT&T and the, the publishing and game development arm of WB Games is is slowing down that conversation and I don't know where they're going. I really hope it's not EA as we were rumored, but DC fandom should provide a lot of clarity. I think we're we're expecting to see the new Batman game. I think you'll also see the Suicide Squad game or some other game within the DC universe that is not Batman specifically. I think Batman has the best rogues gallery and the best universe to play in within the DC universe, so there's a lot to happen there. I think you'll get two games that are are worth your time as a console gamer in this. I know we will probably also around that event, not in the event but around it, find out about the Harry Potter game and what WB Montreal or sorry, WB Games is going to be doing overall. Uh, my hope is that it was Xbox that scooped them up. However, that comes with the uh, the publishing arm, and Xbox doesn't need that. So there's a lot of legality and frustration stuff there. But I'm, I just want to see the Batman game. I'm ready for that to happen. I'm also ready to see the Snyder Cut. Let's make that happen, too. Don't care what any of you say, haters. All right. Logan. Captain Logan writes in. He says, Do you see a time where Microsoft becomes more of a publisher and moves away from hardware, given the number of acquisitions for game studios and their push for services? In short, Captain Logan, yes, and it's already happened. I've talked ad nauseum at this point about how well Xbox Game Studios are doing over on Steam. You can equate that to be to and use the past to predict the future quite easily and look to what you'll see when they have Game Pass over on Samsung TVs. Samsung TVs are going to be shipping with Xbox One controllers or, or newer. It's going to have Game Pass on those platforms. xCloud is going to be coming to tablets and phones and PC down the line. I fully expect xCloud to land on the Xbox One family of devices at some point. Yes, Microsoft is one of the most profitable publishers in the world right now. And that's often overlooked because we think of them as first-party hardware makers. Hardware is not necessarily where they're making their money. And Microsoft at its core, not just Xbox, but Microsoft has always been a software company. I, think, I fully expect going forward over the next 10 years, Microsoft to find themselves almost in a first third-party hybrid where hardware is no longer their main focus, but Game Pass is their mechanism to bringing profit in, and they are publishing games there. They cannot keep up the speed at which AAA third-party games land into Game Pass. They can't bring in The Witcher and Cyberpunk every few er, every year. They can't land those those big games all the time unless they're making them themselves and it's an in-house profit uh, margin line. So yes, I think that's going to happen. I think they're going to double down and continue that. I think they're going to continue gobbling studios in the right way. And I think they're going to make partnerships that allow indie games and AA games to, to land into their services. And Eventually, the word Xbox will mean no box needed. Whatever your box is, whatever box you have, is where you're playing Xbox Game Studio games. We're a long way out from them for game from Game Pass being on PlayStation, but we're not as far as far removed as you might think. And I think we're 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 within sight of seeing that within ten years, it's going to happen. Dan O writes in and he says. Do you think Xbox will hold off on the Lockhart till next year in the hopes the Series X sells better without worrying about a middle-tier option this gen in the next-gen upgrade cycle? This would give time for some people that want to upgrade but not spend so much. Dan, that's a great question. That is a really good question. Lockhart is this strange conundrum because a year and a half, two years ago, I would have thought Lockhart was a dongle device similar to like an Amazon Fire or Fire Stick, if that's what they are, what they are a Fire Stick where you just plug it in and you get xCloud. That's what I thought it was going to be. 
then I thought it would be like an all digital edition. And now with what we're finding out about the teraflops and skips and how powerful the Lockhart is meant to be, uh, and that an Xbox One X is equal in power, but it's totally different measuring methods and that the infrastructure, the velocity architecture allows it to do so much more. I would imagine you have a $300 Lockhart model, a $500 Series X model. I hope they're more aggressively priced, but I would imagine they're not. Uh, they're three and 500. And it, it allows people to enter into the ecosystem below the cost margin of a PlayStation 5 and still play Xbox games. Smart delivery means that for the next two or maybe next year and a half or so, two years, we'll, uh, we'll say, you just buy the game and you can play it on your Xbox. Cool, that's good. But eventually, that's, le that's less important. Backward compatibility just becomes compatibility for Xbox. And having a cheaper device to do that is the right way to do it. Without a doubt, Microsoft sold more Xbox One S's than X's in this generation. The, the cost of premium is, is daunting to many people. And while people that likely listen to shows like this or make content, they're going to buy the best of the best to say they have it because it will bother them if they don't. Many people just want to play their games. And if they have an easy, cost-effective way to do that, I think that's, that's likely that where Lockhart lands. We have an era where subscription services make bank, where paywalls are being removed, Halo is free to play, Fortnite, Apex, Call of Duty, one of the most profitable video game franchise in the world, free to play. You're not far away from FIFA being free to play. I think Lockhart will be the hardware equivalent of, of easy paywalls to get people in, and that's all they want. Their, their strategy of, of reducing paywalls into the ecosystem and then catching customers on the back end with recurring payments is a wise one. It's good for gamers, too, if you're aware. I mean, it, if, you, if you're conscious of how many, you know, my, how many subscription services you're, you're using in your life, it's a great way to enter in. I think, uh, I think you can fully expect Lockhart to happen this year. I think you can fully expect Lockhart to be priced very well below the PlayStation 5. And I think you can find that Lockhart will be a wonderful servant to those who want a second system, who want the PlayStation 5 and they want an Xbox. The Lockhart will be the Xbox. You know, not many people will be getting the PlayStation 5 and the Series X simultaneously. Content creators will, so you'll hear it. But in mass market, you need a Lockhart. You need it day one. Uh, and it needs to work. It needs to work. But but that's that's my my take on it right now. And that take changes week to week as we get this this weird timeline of announcements. But uh, yeah, that's where I, that's where I'm landing on that one, Dan. Famous Seamus asks. Oh man, Famous Seamus. He says, "Will ba with Battletoads release date finally being revealed, how do you think the game looks?" I think the game looks great, Seamus. I really do. I like the art style a lot. I don't think you can take something that that old and make it look good now uh, without a lot of scrutiny. I think Streets of Rage did just that in a really successful way, kind of countering my point. But many games don't land that. that they, they don't capture that same magic. So doing something completely different is dope. I am very interested to see its reception. Of course, I talked about playing it uh, last year, liking it last year, thinking it was really fun. But Game Pass will kind of be the mechanism which I consume it. I don't see myself going out and trying to get the Battletoads statue or the Battletoads this or that. It'll be interesting to see if Microsoft tries to make Battletoads a thing. We saw Battletoads in the Grounded teaser. I imagine you'll see some Sea of Thieves content. You might see a State of Decay thing pop up here or there. But will Battletoads be a thing? It was a meme for decades. You know, calling GameStop, do you guys have Battletoads? No. 
will Battletoads be a thing? That's the question you need to ask yourself. And right now, I don't think it's going to be a thing. I think it's going to be neat. And that's kind of where it will end. Your second question, though, is, is one that I had a lot of fun thinking about. What is your favorite game trailer? Now, this is one I want everyone to think about. We all have our biases and what types of games we like, what kind of games we don't, and that'll affect your choices here. But favorite game trailers, I mean, are you thinking about Dead Island from back in the day? Remember that incredible Dead Island trailer that was nothing like the game? Uh, there's so many ways to, the Smash Brothers trailer, remember where the Mario mascots were just beating the mess out of each other uh, on, the, on the, the lawn? That was really fun. But my favorite game trailers are a tie between two. Halo Reach had a live-action trailer back in the day called Deliver Hope, in which the character Cat is trying to get a bomb to destroy some Covenant ship, and she loses her arm, and that's how she she is armless in Halo Reach with, with a prosthetic. And it is such a brilliant capturing of what Halo Reach is going to be, and what it was what it was going to be, and, and what they were going for. I love the Halo live-action stuff. Uh, even if you don't like Halo, you can go watch that trailer, Deliver Hope, and it is impressive it is impressive so that's one of them halo reach deliver hope the other comes from the stepchild of the arkham family arkham origins if you've never seen the first arkham origins trailer it's brilliant because a very young batman is being hunted by all these assassins and like dead shots aiming at him and then the, like vipers like like moving around in the backside and then all of a sudden you see batman fighting deathstroke and deadshot can't get a shot because they're going so quickly it's a really cool scene and it, the concept of Batman being hunted by assassins was really, really cool. So those are my two favorites. Uh, and I gave some shout-outs to Smash Brothers and to Dead Island. Also, I have to give a shout-out to Gears of War, the original. That Mad World trailer was really, really cool. Our last question this week comes from Edward Varnell, who typically writes in very layered and thoughtful questions that put me on my, put me on my heels. And he does that again this week, saying... Do you think Americans don't understand the online and local play that goes on in Japan? So they equate online to Microsoft Online process only. That's an interesting take, Edward. The idea that, that Americans, just by way of culture and idea and technology, do not recognize the way that, that online communities interact in Japan. And I think there might be some level to that. However, to be quite blunt and perhaps answering your question by accident, I'm very ignorant to this. Uh, I, I turn to people much smarter and more experienced who say that Japan's gaming culture is very different than the North American and European gaming cultures. And that would mean that they need different technologies and methods of consumption uh, to be different as well. I think that Microsoft as an American company has struggled to make gains in that community, whereas Sony and Nintendo have been very successful. And I think they threw out the playbook and tried something different with xCloud. And we'll see, we'll see if that pays dividends. Bringing in Crossfire was a good idea. Bringing in the Kart Drifter game from those two games very big in Korea might give them an inroad into the Asian markets and then make their way to Japan to answer your question specifically. But I do think there is a disconnect and uh, a dissociative level of understanding. That said, I think ground is being made up and Microsoft is is becoming more worldwide in a way that is is un, un many people don't recognize how much money and business influence Microsoft has and how that trickles down into the Xbox area. 
And I think that that is the tale that will be told at the end of this upcoming generation is how well they either successfully infiltrated the Asian markets or failed miserably the fourth time over. And that is the, the part of the story that I'm interested in myself. Well, that's it for me this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. There was to be an interview this episode. However, my guest's microphone failed on him the moment we jumped on the call, and he was very apologetic. I won't tell you who it is, but I am excited for you to, to hear his thoughts once we get him back on. Uh, that will not be in this upcoming week. We have a different interview in this upcoming week that I think if you enjoyed some of the discussions from this week's episode, you'll get a more spotlighted version of that. And I'm, I'm excited for that to happen, but I don't want to say it and jinx it and, and then it go away. But lots of interviews coming up over the next few months, lots of uh, topics coming up in the next few weeks. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in finding more of my content, you can find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash insipidghost, or you can email me insipidghost at gmail.com. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care.